Hang with me, GE. Scars. I've been healed. Circumstances. I've been healed. Disappointments. I've been healed. All right. Found my liberty. Those chains have just fallen away. I have been healed. Oh, goodness, so many things to be healed from. And then, you know, in the first service, we've been talking about this thing called perfection shame. If you look at it in your bulletin, it says perfect shame. Sorry. <laughs> we just weren't perfect today, starting off before we even got the bulletin done. You know, and in the first service, in the, I enjoyed that song so much, I, I was, but I had misheard. And so I was saying, scares, I've been healed. Circumstance. And I did it like 20 times. <laughs> and they did not correct me at all. They just let me walk around the whole time going, scares, scares. Scars, scars. I've been healed. Disappointment, I've been healed. And circumstances, I've been healed. Oh, goodness gracious. But when it comes to perfection, shame, I still... Want to cover my face. I still don't necessarily want to see you to see me in my full ugly cry mode. In the first service, when I heard Nikki's story from Candace, uh, which I have heard before, it just still caught me up and I started to cry in the first service. And then we went into that song that Mark was singing after it and I started to cry a little more in the first service. But it wasn't an ugly cry because, you see, I've been taught how to cry without letting you see me cry. <laughs> you know, it's that perfection shame, not wanting to be caught. If you know me too well, you just might not like me after you see one of those ugly cries. <laughs> but today we're talking about perfection shame and beyond that even how we need to try and how God keeps coming back after us over and over and over again. And I want to take you all the way back to Easter, but before that, I want to give you another example of my family. I think we have a family of perfectionists. My sister Elizabeth, when she was somewhere 30-ish, I think, or a little bit later, a uh, professor of accounting at uh, one of those schools, I think she's at, S at uh, TCU now, but she was at SMU at the time. And as she teaches international tax, and she uses formulas for graduate students that make my head hurt. Okay, so she's got all these degrees, she's a doctor, and, and she hasn't really, though, ever tried anything that she wasn't good at. You know, everything she made A's all along. She chose things that she was good at. She kept doing that her whole life. So when she got to be 30, published, author, and professor, she, she decided she might need to live a little differently if she didn't want to be single her whole life. And so Elizabeth is a list maker. And so she put on her list, ask all my friends to hook me up with somebody. That's how she accomplished things. And if it was on her list, pretty sure it's going to get done. Pretty sure it's going to get done. And down on the list lower, it was get engaged, get married. But it had never been on her list before. But as she knows, the list works. And, but she was a little frightened of this one because this wasn't something she had done before. This wasn't something she knew for sure she would be good at. But sure enough, my aunt and uncle knew someone and hooked her up, and about a year and a half later, they got married. Steve was in her life. And sure enough, she found out she wasn't perfect. 
Because love will do that to you. Love will do that to you. When I was growing up, I hated to not be correct about things. And so, first time, I expected to get it right. And if I didn't get it right the first time, I went out and learned what I did wrong. So the second time, you know, by that time, I'm an expert so that I'm for sure going to get it right that time. And you can't ever expect me to try a third time. Oh, goodness gracious, that perfection shame of needing to not get caught without being able to do whatever it is you think you're supposed to be able to do, you know? But to keep trying once, twice, three times, Jesus keeps coming back over and over again no matter how many times we need it and doesn't expect us to be perfect, doesn't expect us to have it all together the first time, the second time, the third time, or any time continues to come back to us. And so as we go on, I want to take us back to Easter Sunday. And if you remember on Easter, we heard from Brian McLaren, the annual study we're doing every week, our devotion. And he talked about Easter. The chapter of the book was The Uprising Begins. And McLaren said that to be a part of the uprising, you have to go into the empty tomb. You have to go into the scars. You have to go into the disappointments. You have to go through the circumstances. If you want to be a part of the uprising, you have to know what it's like to be a part of that empty tomb. And then he said the uprising begins. Resurrection comes. We are a part of new life. We transform ourselves and we transform the world. Are you ready to be a part of the uprising still? Are we a people of the uprising? Because it asks something of us. After Easter, we started this sermon series about moving from shame to grace. And that first Sunday, we had the story of Doubting Thomas, and Reverend Vicki preached on that Sunday. She talked about Thomas asking for exactly what he needed and people making fun of him for doing so, saying he was a lesser disciple. But Thomas says, I need to see before I can believe. And then Jesus shows up to show him the scars I did get that right in the first service, scars. <laughs> Jesus shows up to show Thomas the scars, and Thomas realized the very thing he thought he needed, he can let go of. He didn't have to do what he thought he did. And on that Sunday, we heard the story, the actor came and shared with us, Herman came and shared the story of a person who was mistaken for a Muslim at a hospital, and how that person reached beyond himself to help a couple who weren't too excited about his help. And how at the end of the story, one said to the other, see, they're not all bad. Y'all remember that? Yeah. And then the person confesses, I'm not Muslim. But I thought, I thought I should let it go because of the learning that was happening in that moment. We heard that story, and, and, and in this hearing of the story of Thomas and asking in the story of Ahmed, and not actually being fully who he was so others could learn, Jesus comes to us and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Right where you are in the middle of all this, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? in this world and right now. The next week, the next week the scripture about the story of Ananias and Saul. Do y'all remember that one? 
Goodness gracious. God's telling the person who's doing the hurting and the harm that in order to get healed, he has to go to the persons he's been hurting. And we wonder how grace could be big enough. How grace could be big enough for such a horrible error, such horrible violence. And Saul goes to the very house where the people there are the people that he's been urging others to kill and to imprison. He goes in that place, and Ananias, the other one, has to figure out, is he going to heal Paul? Or is he going to do that old code, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? You don't know that one? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The one that Gandhi said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, makes you toothless and blind. <laughs> True quote, makes you toothless and blind, but here he's killing my people. What am I supposed to do? You know? I think of the character in the color purple who's got the presser shaving his neck. What am I going to do? I can end this right here and now. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Then we heard the story of Dr. Andrea who talked about what it meant in her life and for the life of black folk to not return eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth for all of the violence that's occurred to them. She said, you come in and shoot up our houses of worship and we don't do that to you. You seek out and kill us and hurt us and lynch us and do all these things, but we don't do that to you. We don't practice eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I know some of you were appalled when she said, a burning car is grace. That means we didn't kill somebody. Frustration and anger came out so much that this had to happen, but we still didn't do eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's been grace upon grace upon grace. As we hear stories like that, Jesus looks at us and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Cars are burning. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. This Sunday, we get to the point in the Scripture story following Easter, the uprising in the uprising where we hear the story of Nikki Aragus, now Nikki Aragus Lloyd, legally married. And we celebrate for her that she has moved on in life, but we are with her in the moments of what does it mean to look for grace when you're denied over and over and over again? What does it mean to be so brave when you wonder if it's ever, ever going to happen. To not receive that flag before you after you've just experienced the first moment of grace you've had since your loved one died. When you almost caught your breath and then they snatched it away from you again. We hear that story. We know Nikki here. We've been to some of her trials. With My sermon keeps flying away this morning. It was in the wrong place in the early service too. Oh. When I think of that and think of Nikki going to that place, trying again, they said, I'll get a flag this time. Could we walk with her to that place and wonder, will it actually happen right now? Will there be enough grace for her to actually receive the flag? Will there be enough? Will we know that grief is grief? That loss is loss? That pain and suffering is pain and suffering regardless of what your identity marker is on your birth certificate or used to be. 
Can we walk with her to that place where you can whisper into an ear of power, your trans citizens matter. Your trans citizens matter. We are worth it. We need your help. Can you ask for what you need? Not have to be perfect all to yourself. Scars. Disappointments and circumstances, surely they are with us. With Jesus, can we say, I am healed? I have learned. This past week with the murder of another trans woman of color, Shante Thompson, and the friend who tried to help her not be killed, Willie Sims, both murdered this past week. Can we hear the words, Jesus asking us, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do we care that we name Shante? And do we work to make sure her name is remembered? Reverend Denise Junius went to the vigil that was held on Friday along with our board member, Kedrick Brown, so that we had presence there. But Jesus asks upon us as a church, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you still want to be part of this kind of uprising? This kind of uprising that walks in and through the empty tomb, doesn't skip around it, doesn't say it's not there, but knows that that is the path to new life. Even if we want to go fishing instead. Which is what Peter did, by the way. He went fishing. I don't know, does Jesus come to you now and say, do you love me? Right in the middle of whatever's going on in your life, do you hear the question for yourself today? At this point, I thought the sermon was getting a little heavy when I was writing it, so I said, I need to throw in some Broadway because I know you appreciate that kind of stuff. So we're going to listen to a song between Tevya and Goldie from Fiddler on the Roof. And as we listen to the song, I want you to imagine the frustration of this is the same thing that's going on between Peter in his own heart and soul as he hears Jesus asking him this question over and over again. So do you love me? Love. Goldie, do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? Well? With our daughters getting married and this trouble in the town. You're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, go lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Uh, no, Goldie, <laughs> I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? You're a fool. I know. But do you love me? Do I love you? Well, For 25 years I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked your cow. After 25 years, why talk about love right now? Golden, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. But my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. 
And now I'm asking Golda, do you love me? I'm your wife. I know. But do you love me? Do I love him? Well? For 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And you love me. I suppose I do. <laughs> And I suppose I love you too. It doesn't change a thing. But even so. After 25 years, it's nice to know. <laughs> oh. Had a little humor to it, but the question is to you today in the scripture, to you, do you love me? Jesus asks. Do you, you might say, for 25 years I've been sitting in these pews, Jesus. Do you love me? Well, for 25 years I've showed up on Saturdays for Campus Care Day and painted red things and yellow things and pulled up roots. Okay, but do you love me? We often want to say our pedigree or resume of what we've done and accomplished, and the question is not what have you done and accomplished, the question is do you love me? Do you? Do you? Whatever it means to get dressed up on Sunday and come every week, do you love me, Jesus asks. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, do you love me? Goodness, when I hear that question, I have a lot of things I can list. I can be frustrated like Goldie. I can say, I'm your wife. I kind of hear that in Peter. I'm your disciple. Didn't you see me go through all that stuff with you? Didn't you see me? I was right there the whole time. What do you mean, do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. You see, some scholars say this part of the scripture is about Peter being restored. Because you remember on the night before the crucifixion, they ask Peter if he knows Jesus. And three times Peter says, nope, I'm not a part of that guy's entourage. Three times. And so say this is part of how Peter gets restored. Is these three questions that he gets to say yes to. Yes, yes, yes. I love you, I love you, I love you. But it's more than restoration. It's commissioning. Because Peter's gone fishing. Peter's gone back to what he knows. Peter's gone back to the seashore and hauling in fish. Just before this story, Jesus told him what side of the boat to fish on and is fed on breakfast. So you might think it's going to be an easy morning until he starts asking, do you love me? You know, Peter's gone back to knowing what he knows best and doing it. So right where you are this day, doing whatever you do best, 
being an expert at whatever it is, maybe not risking anything, maybe not trying the first, second, third time to reach where God wants you to continue reaching. But here, Peter is given that chance and more. Not just to say, Jesus, I love you three times, but then to tend and feed the sheep. When we hear stories this morning that have come from us from the dialogues of grace, goodness, do we love Jesus? Do we want to just sit and say we love Jesus, or are we interested in tending? Are we interested in being a part of the community God called us into? Are we just more interested in taking off and going fishing for a while? I don't think fishing is a bad thing, because I know some of you are really good fisher people. I've seen pictures of you on your boats with the catches of various sizes. Do you love me? Well, I helped the homeless person this week. I also made a contribution to the food pantry, and I did this. Do you love me? It's a different question. Out of that place, will you let go of anything that keeps you from trying? Any need to be perfect? Anything that makes you more reputable than anyone else around you, will you let go of it for me in order to tend and love those that I love? You may be in the middle of making your living somehow doing whatever, just like Peter was. And Jesus comes in and says, do you love me? If you've been taught not to try, Jesus tells you this morning to try again. If you've been taught that trying doesn't make a difference, Jesus tells you this morning it does. I see it and I bless it and it will bring you healing in me. Some of you may say, every time I try something new, Troy, this addiction just grabs me. Or every time I even take a step out of the door to risk something new, I get hurt. It's not about having the perfect solution Jesus says, do you love me enough to keep trying? Do you love me enough to feed my sheep, to be who I am in this world, to be my hands and feet, my heart for the world, for the transformation of the world? We may look reconciled. We may look restored. I can do a pretty good job of that. I know how to hide my face at the right time. But Jesus asks us, are you ready for the uprising that uprising, that means, my children, all these stories are your sheep. You are my lambs and sheep. Can you love me by feeding and tending them? It is grace upon grace upon grace. You might get it right one minute and wrong the next minute. Peter sure does. And the next verse in Scripture, he starts complaining about that other disciple over there that he thinks Jesus favors. He says, what about him? And then Jesus said, don't worry about him. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Not what about them. I'm talking to you. Jesus says to you this morning, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Amen. <laughs>